This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hello everyone, Happy New Year. I'm Will Pugh from We Are West Ham and you're listening to the We Are West Ham New Year Special Nostalgia Series. Now myself, James Jones, Tom Edwards and Charlie Hawkins had a break from the Love Sport Radio Airways for a couple of weeks to give us a chance to have a Christmas break of our own, just like West Ham were given by Liverpool's appearance at the Club World Cup. Now before this episode starts, we heard the terribly sad news that a World Cup winning hero, Martin Peters, died before Christmas after a long struggle with dementia. So first and foremost, I'd like to offer sincere condolences and best wishes to those closest to Martin at what must be an extremely difficult time. I, like a fair portion of our listeners, am too young to have seen Martin play, but I still felt a profound sadness upon hearing the news and reading the tributes as they poured in for the great man. Reaction in the media and online after the news broke made it clear what a sad blow Martin's death was to the whole nation. But at West Ham, the loss of course will be felt that much deeper. Martin's achievements were perhaps sometimes overlooked given his place among West Ham's most famous trio, but, if at all he was, being slightly overshadowed by England's World Cup winning captain and the only man in history to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final is not so bad in my book and I know I'd certainly take it. Martin played 364 times for West Ham, scoring 100 goals in the process between 1959 and 1970. He was part of the Hammers team that won the European Cup Winners' Cup in 1965 a victory viewed by many as the greatest in the club's history, and it was that same season that Martin won Hammer of the Year for the first and only time in his career. England World Cup manager Alf Ramsey described him as 10 years ahead of his time, while his natural ability and pace earned him the nickname The Ghost for his ability to pop up undetected in crowded penalty areas to score on countless occasions. Martin's footballing achievements are there for all to see, and will rightfully remain so for eternity thanks to his inspirational role in England's first ever World Cup glory. The one thing that should never be overlooked is that he was a great man. I was lucky enough to meet him on one occasion, and he was kind and friendly to me, which is exactly how he's remembered by almost everyone who has spoken out about Martin since his death. And I don't suppose everyone who left West Ham for Tottenham in their career will be able to say that when they die. Touching messages poured in from across the football world when the news broke, but Martin's long-time friend and teammate, Sir Jeff Hurst, was one of the first to pay tribute to the talented midfielder, and his words read, Today is a very sad day for football and for me personally. Martin Peters was one of the all-time greats and a close friend and colleague of mine for in excess of 50 years, a fellow World Cup final goalscorer and my West Ham partner for years along with Bobby Moore. R.I.P. old friend. So once again, condolences and best wishes from everyone here at We Are West Ham and I'll leave you with words from our very own West Ham United who I think put it best. Our World Cup winning heroes, Bobby Moore, Martin Peters and Sir Jeff Hurst will stand eternal as West Ham United's three proudest sons. Rest in peace, Martin Peters, who died before Christmas, age 76. You are listening to the We Are West Ham podcast, and I'm delighted this afternoon to be joined by my friend and huge West Ham fan, Reese Bayliss. 
What we're doing today, we're bringing you, this is episode one of the Nostalgia series. At the moment, it's just a pilot. It's episode one of what could be 10, 15, 20, who knows. But you'll know we are West Ham at the moment, of course, from the live radio show that me and James Jones do every Tuesday night on Love Sport Radio. And if you are a regular subscriber to the podcast, you'll obviously have heard us from that every week. But me and Reese have been friends for a long time now, and we had an idea a few weeks ago, or a few months ago, it's been brewing for quite some time, we're both lifelong West Ham fans. You'll know that about me. You'll have heard Reese's name if you'd listened to the West Ham show every week because he is, in fact, the quiz master. James is beating me at the moment, as most of you all know, which is very disappointing. But we wanted to bring something to you know to West Ham fans. We thought there was a bit of a gap in the market for I say it's it's called the Nostalgia series, and we want to we want to have a little bit of a look back and a hark back what we remember from some seasons. Me and Reese have had part of our friendship for a very long time now. We, we've got a little bit of an obsession uh, or a fascination with some absolutely obscure and bizarre players that West Ham have had in the past. And it's, you know, it's, it's been sort of stalwart of our friendship. So first of all, Reese, welcome officially on air to We Are West Ham. Thank you very much, mate. Nice to have Lovely you here. Lovely to be here. I know. Lovely tell me about it. We've, we've been thinking about this for quite a while, haven't we? Yeah, to be honest, mate, I think there's, there's you know, I think the problem is that when we go to the games, we all have a good beer. And that's it. Old players come out. Do you remember this game? Do you remember that game? So I think what better way than to send yeah. it out, get everyone to listen to it? Because I'm sure there's we're not the only two that nah, have these not. obsessions, mate. Um, no, nah, that's it. I mean, it's, it's it's been something from our point of view. We've I think it, it sort of goes hand in hand with the West Ham thing, doesn't it? Because yeah. West Ham have had so many players through the door who you just look at and, for want of a better word, are just pony. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and I think the only sort of choice that we've got from West Ham fans' point of view is to laugh at it, isn't it? And we've sort of made a bit of an art of that for the past God knows how many years. <laughs> if you uh, if you go back through mine and Reese's through our Snap uh, our WhatsApp history, all it is is just me and you throwing names of bizarre, obscure. I West don't Ham think I've called you by you? your first name, mate, for probably about a year and a half. <laughs> yeah, really, exactly. So uh, exactly, but, but that's that's you know that is the thing we've. West Ham and it? it's yeah. the uh, the comedy element as well in it mate yeah, so you've, uh, you've got to have that so the, the idea came from that time but we also do like looking back and remembering seasons gone by often with claret and blue or rose tinted spectacles if you will but what so what we thought we'd do we'd just throw one out there and you know have, have a look back at certainly around the players but also like seasons that we remember and that we look back on really fondly and if it's something that works well and the format that you know you all like and we've got a lot of listeners already which me and James are very lucky to have we've launched the we are West Ham platform this year and it's something that you know we, we just want to bring something a bit new and a bit different so we decided for episode one of the We Are West Ham Nostalgia series, we would be bringing you, of course, the last season at Upton Park. And it didn't really take too much thinking about this, did it, mate? No. No, what a good way to start. It's, it was just one of them seasons that everything clicked in the end, didn't it? And finished on such a high but such a low. Um, and I think, you know, it'd just be nice to have a good chat about it. There's so many things happened that year, you know, for personal and... You know, from the, the club point of view, so you know, it's it's certain things just happened that probably will never happen again, will they? And that's that's what we would. That, you're right, and that's what we were talking about, wasn't it? When we you know, we were talking about introducing uh, this idea and doing mm-hmm. it in the first place, is how you, you just almost as much as you remember the games and the highlights, which you know the skies and the BBCs of the world are really good at doing. 
the things that they don't do from a fan's point of view is remember, like you were talking to me earlier on about, oh, yeah, I got engaged that year. And mm. I remember the, the Chelsea game where I had a massive crash in the A13 and I missed the game. You had to turn around and go home. It's, it's those bits yeah. that you remember as well as yeah, what I happens think, on the pitch. You know, I think people don't... Everyone has their own personal experience when they go to games, don't they? It's, you know, whether you've got kids or you're going with your mates and it's the usual meet-up before the game, a few beers or... You know, pie and chips or pie and mash, that's it, into the ground. So, you know, I think hopefully with this, it just give everyone, you know, just a sort of reminiscing about why they go to football, why we like West Ham. Even looking back on who your first goal scorer was, you know, the different, not a lot of people are going to have the same and things like that. So, as I say, this is what we want to try and do. And it's, it's, uh, if it brings back memories of families and things you've done. You know, that's, and it's also how I remember a lot of stuff, if you ask my wife. Yeah. <laughs> Anniversaries, people's birthdays, and that, I'll be like, oh, yeah, because I remember we beat so-and-so or yeah. we lost to so-and-so. So, Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> well, like I say, this is We Are West Ham. This is episode one of the nostalgia season, and this is 2015-2016, last season at Upton Park. So we can only start, really, if we're talking about the last season at Upton Park, if we're talking about 2015-2016, we can... Only, we have to talk about the elephant in the room, and that is the the fact that it was going to be that last season, our spiritual home, the place we all love going, the place I grew up watching football, and the place you grew up watching football. So, what were your? Obviously, it had all been decided by then. It had been rubber stamped. We'd had all the you know the consultation periods or so-called consultation periods, and it was you know it was done. What were your? What did you feel about it then? Like going into that season at that stage. Um, a bit of it was a bit of both, uh, if I'm honest. I think that we'd obviously we'd all been up to the reservation centre, as you say. We'd done our seats and we got shown this is going to be we're going to do this and do that. And in all fairness, I'd done the uh, the farewell bowling tour. Um, oh yeah. In, in, prior, to, I think it was either just before the start of the season or just into the start of the season, and. When you actually look round the ground, um, I will mention it a lot, but I'm quite lucky that I can go in the old corporate yeah, side yeah. of things. Um, so that's a, probably that's worth mentioning now, actually. So we, for, for the both of us, my season ticket Upton Park was in the East Stand Upper in line with the penalty area on the Bobby Moore end. And I literally sat in the East Stand Upper from when I was born. I had one season in the Bobby Moore Upper when I decided that it wasn't cool to go with my dad and my granddad anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and I went with my mate uh, Adam and uh, Adam McCarthy for, for the year and also realised that whilst the atmosphere is good in the Bobby Moore, you can't see. So yeah. get me yeah. back to the East Stand Upper straight away. But you you had a season ticket as well, but in the more recent years... Yeah, I, went, of... I started off in the Centenary Upper and then ended up in the Dr. Martin's Lower. And that was... Yeah, that was from when it was built to when we left and made some fantastic friends that I do bump into now and again that sat round me. Yeah, and it was, I mean, our seat was, uh, we were just off of the penalty area towards the Centenary or the Trevor Brook, you know, if you want to call it, I still call it Centenary. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the view was superb. Always liked it down there because you always had the, you know, the, the part of where the subs would warm up. And the, Chav you know, Corner. the old classic Chav Corner. <laughs> so, you know, I remember some players down there, Carragher, people like that, Odin Wingy, that time when he went to, uh, he thought he was going to get a move, but they always used to take it and 
yeah, I liked it. In, I did like it in the main stand. Mm. Sat everywhere in the ground, like every like everyone else probably did. And yeah, it just felt, you but, know, that was just the one we didn't think about moving because the seats were decent. No, but in um, that last season, uh, the, certainly the last season up to Park, you had you you tend to spend a bit more time in the corporate yeah, boxes. Yeah, yeah. Very lucky, a friend of mine. He's uh, his dad had a box over there for twelve, eleven, twelve years, mm. and. Yeah, most weeks I was lucky enough to get in there. And as I say, going back to the story about the tour, when you actually go round it, it needed a lot of money spent on it. Mm. Um, Even though it was quite obviously, especially that main stand, yeah, because the yeah. tour only really, yeah, the really tour included the main yeah. stand. Wasn't yeah, it? I mean, it, it was, you know, and it, for something so new, that's the thing. And I think that's the problem with a lot of grounds where. We like the traditional part of the ground, but even the the stands, as you mentioned, that have been built recently, that you know, you, I, I I I don't know how much you'd have to spend on them. It was, you know, when we went round it, decor and things like that, and you could tell that it was becoming very outdated. Which you can see why teams want to get new grounds, revenue, mm. things like that. Yes, I was I was all for it because of the things we were promised. I know a lot more people. So were you? Sorry, just to no, so you were for the stadium move, were you? At the time, yeah, really, yeah, yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Mine was a completely different one. I mean, I sat in the East End, so I saw that every single week. How all right, the other three might be a little bit tired or a little bit dated, but if we can make any improvements, like this is this is the one yeah. that needs doing. Yeah, you know, there was that one. It was such a standout ground, wasn't it? Yeah. And sorry, stand. And while it was it was class, and I loved it. I loved going. The view was second to none in the whole league. Not just not just because we were a little bit elevated, but so close to the pitch. I think that was the problem with the chicken run. If they could have, I don't know again how whether it was true or not. But if if they couldn't have renovated that part, if we could have got it to sort of forty eight thousand, I reckon that would have been Perfect. spot on. I reckon yeah, that would have but, been spot on. And you know what? I'll be honest with you, mate. That's what one of the things that sticks with me most about the whole thing. Because I, I even now still today, I, I I'm not as anti-London Stadium as a lot of people are. I think it's actually all right. Like We got pretty lucky with our seats the first year. I think the view's pretty good. I think on atmosphere, or as far as that goes, on good games and good matches when we're playing well, I think the atmosphere's good. When it's not, the atmosphere's not good, just like it was at Upton Park. But the thing that sticks with me still is, and I need to do a bit more digging on it, but the... The, one of the reasons that we got told that the East End couldn't be extended was because, you remember the bus garage? Yeah, yeah, At yeah. the back of the East End? Yeah. yeah, the reason was that that was such a vital bus depot for the whole of East London, there was no way you could block that road off or that that could be moved. Yeah. Because, and that's what you'd have to do to extend the East End, yeah, which yeah. made sense because yeah. naturally you'd go higher and you'd have to go back. And, yeah, that's I remember hearing that at the time because I was very much, look, all right, we might be able to move, but the East Stand is falling to bits. And we're not a, at the time, and I'm still not sure now, but we're not a 60,000, 65,000 club yet. No. You know, I, 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 certainly our core fan base, I didn't feel that was true. And I thought, like you just said, that 48,000 would work. And the thing that annoys me and upsets me the most, and it's something I'm looking into at the moment, is the... The bus garage at the back, obviously, you know, once it's all the decision had been made on behalf of all of us, apparently, to move stadiums and, you know, that's what was happening. Now, there's flats there and that bus garage has moved. Yeah. The road yeah, is I'd... closed and, and all of a sudden that, that sort of excuse or reason has disappeared into the wind and my, uh, it doesn't sit comfortably with my, me. Th- my thoughts on the ground, the, mo- the parts that, for me, was um, 
getting in and out of the ground in terms of travel from Essex. It weren't. It, it was nowhere near bad at Upton Park. You know, we all had the, especially when I was a lot younger, you know, running to the station before the gates get put up to try and get in and all that. But it, again, it wasn't till I actually went to the ground, you don't realise how far it is from the station. So I used to walk from Upton Park Stratford, to... Stratford, you mean? Yeah, Stratford, Stratford yeah. yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, you know, the... I was always of the right, yeah, you'd be able to get in and, you know, if you needed to get back or things like that. But in all honesty, we used to walk to Plasto and I think probably only a three or four minutes difference now. That's all it's, it is. It's I was very much for the, the family side of things um, because it, football is an expensive, is ex- expensive game now, you know, to give ki- kids the opportunity to go up, dads or granddads or whatever and... Oh, that's the things that I was very much for. Yeah, you know, it's easier it's to say of, now, yeah, isn't it? It's yeah, just because I, I, I look back at the time and I was, I, I just thought the from my point of view, I thought it was too much of a big jump, and I thought the the East End that bit hadn't been looked into. I felt the answers we'd had to the East End refurb, which I think just as you've seen at Liverpool with the extension to the yeah, yeah. that main stand at Anfield, that's done them the world good. Is it's got a load of X yeah. amount more people in every week, you know, and. I was just a little, always a little bit, this doesn't feel right because I feel like something's being hidden there because surely something more could be done. It seemed like the powers that be had decided they wanted the move prior to any sort of, you know, so-called engagements yep. or, and I don't think any answers to questions about what could have been done with that existing site, i.e., which people, you know, are not quick to forget is our spiritual home where we all, me, you, my dad, my granddad, you're, you know, we all started going to watch West Ham. Yeah. And I think that decision was taken well before any of us lot were engaged. Sort of moving more towards on the pitch matters, like in this, the the main sort of difference, I suppose, was the departure of Big Sam over the summer. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. You know, I think it was it was massively needed. I again personally, I think he done a good job. See, again, couldn't um, disagree. I I think good job is just I, I can I. I look back at Sam, even now you can hear me, I'm literally tensing <laughs> up, it's just making me angry because I think watching Sam Allardyce in charge of West Ham in the Premier League was the, it was just everything that was wrong with modern day football for me because, you know, in the Championship, I mean, you know, we went to plenty of away games, yeah, I think yeah, I missed yeah. two away games yeah. that season in the Championship when we come up and it was fantastic, it was just nice to see us winning games, it yeah. was great fun. Yeah. But that the the Premier League stuff under Allardyce, from from my point of view, as a and this is where I think the difference is, which used to annoy me when pundits would say, "Oh, he's doing a good job." What more do West Ham fans want? The thing that used to wind me up is well, you don't have to go and sit there no. and watch it for an hour and no, a half. I did, yeah, I every did, other uh, week, mate. So the, my description of a good job, right? Before you think I'm like, <laughs> I've got, a, post, I've got a poster of him in my wall because he like he had like a pint pint of gravy or something like that of his <laughs> dinner, but. You know, stability-wise, was the club was back, I felt. The only thing that annoyed me at the end of his tenure, you know, we had that, you're right, his style of football, which will always get him jobs because, you know, people need that if they're under from pressure. A bit, yeah, from a business um, sense, yeah. We were fourth at Christmas and we just totally blew it. So I felt, you know, him going would give us that that platform then to try and get someone else in with new ideas my own, again, the only risk was, and again, I remember reading, I think it was Richard Keyes or someone like that, the old, be careful what you wish for was frying up again. To put all that pressure, though, on the last year at Upton Park where you've got to potentially give the fans 
you know, a season to remember. That he was not the man for that, was no, he? No, 100%. no, hundred percent. No, that's what I'm saying. You know, I, if I can retract my good statement, yeah, he'd done a, you know, it was it was a job that he needed did. to be done exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But as I say, that's why that man will always. There are certain managers, but on the other hand, he knows he can get results from that. So would yeah. you turn around and go? No, if you're if can you're you try and do something different, yeah. Th- yeah, you're right. There were games. I mean. Remember that game where he cupped his ear where we won two one and he was like Oh the whole hole was that whole like, home Tuesday night. With one with one. So yeah, I know he understands that points are the different but you're right, there yeah, are people that exactly. have paid fifty, sixty quid to come watch Sa- it. Sam Allardyce is a manager who only he cares about no one in the ground other than the people in the director's yeah. box, does he? And fair yeah. enough, that's what pays his yeah. salary. He's yeah. got a much more hard nosed way of approaching football and but that's not what it's about you know and you had a man and we'll move on to him now obviously Slav got appointed and there is a man who perhaps almost too much to his detriment is at the other side of the scale where perhaps he you know he probably panders a lot more to the other 35 and a half thousand people in the ground who aren't in the director's box exactly that mate yeah Yeah. Um, Yeah. so what was your what was your thoughts on Slav Uh, fantastic fantastic when he was appointed yeah, I was always, you know, I, I, I can't really remember who was in the running. I think was Benitez in the running that year as well. There was, was that the, the usual as was, as was as Slaven we, like fifth choice, or yeah. if I remember something like that. It was and, classic West Ham when it like we do with strikers. We'll like yeah. we'll release a story saying that we're yeah, we released with Ronaldo and yeah. you know Lacazette yeah. and all that sort of yeah, carry on. It, it, so it's you know when he come in, I feel we needed that back, that sort of closeness between manager and fans. You know, Definitely, and, and, because that was a you know, tough all, time. Yeah, that's the thing. Obviously, we still had a few players that were very much close to home. You know, Mark Noble and obviously Tompkins was still there and things like that. So, you know, when he was appointed, I, I, I do like our tradition, although it hasn't happened a lot in the, like in the recent years, where you have an ex-player or someone associated with a club that can come in. My only problem, like anything, is eventuality if they have to leave and you know if there's a fallout I remember Trevor Brooking when he was in charge and I think he never wanted to take the job because of I don't think he'd ever want the fallout with the no, fans no, no. No, you know I right. think Di Canio was obviously mentioned probably that year as well but I think that was like you say we'd slipped so far away the the, the void between the fans and the people in charge from a footballing perspective had, there was such a huge gulf, wasn't yeah, there? They were saying they needed two men. Um, so, I and think he, you know, bought, obviously brought Dixie back in. Yeah, exactly. Um, there was that. There was that connection that had been re-established. Yeah. Which, like you say, going into the last season, that that was important. So, on the obviously positive stuff as far as the management goes, we'd all sort of got on board, whether we agreed with it or not, that we were moving from away from Upton Park. And this is the bit I was most looking forward to of the whole podcast again this is kind of where the idea come from that is our squad list going into the season and what i've got down here on the running order we put together earlier on was so your squad list going into the year your favorite players and your favorite lol players cool because as you know me and you do love an absolute <laughs> rascal of a uh of a center forward and as we were putting it in here and you know as many a phone call and text as we've shared when i ring you up and go reese 
it's uh, it's me, but you'll have to call me uh, John M and N K today. Uh, so that was my favourite number, number twenty nine, Emmanuel M and E K, who was uh, who was part of the squad list going into the season. But just to go through it quickly, we've got the the three keepers were Randolph, Adrian, and Spiegel. Uh, Adrian, we sort of you know you had him as number one, but they were both him and Randolph both thirty two, and as the season progresses, we'll talk about. The two of them kind of had a bit of a tug of war for the shirt. The defenders, you had Reed, Cresswell, James Tompkins, Joey O'Brien, James Collins, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Collins, Ogbonna, Sam Byram, Donnell Henry, Reese Burke, and Stephen Hendry is our official defenders list. They, uh, any, uh, so you touched on Joey O'Brien there, but <laughs> some, I think looking back now and remembering what that season ended up being like. You know, a lot of those names in there, Cresswell, Reed, Ogbonna, they probably had their best seasons of their career in the end that year. And then moving on into midfield, you've got Alex Song. I can't believe, you know, what a, what a player he was, what year he had. Cheku Kiati, Pedro Obiang, Mark Noble, Victor Moses, Dimitri Payet, the Mercurial, Manuel Lanzini, Michel Antonio, Reese Oxford, and then up front, Andy Carroll, Enna Valencia, Diafra Sacco, and my favourite Emmanuel Emenenke <laughs> so and you hear back those names now and you obviously remember what a year they had but going into the season first of all who's your favourite just you know hilarious player in that squad that you just is classic West Ham I think you see, see me by saying Joey O'Brien <laughs> when he was there he was just like yeah, he was just he, he was another he was just another Allardyce signing that he was I don't know. It was part but, of the club with Matt Taylor. Yeah, do you know what worse. I mean? He, he, I mean, in fairness, he chipped in with a couple of goals and he was another one I don't think they ever let us down. It's, it's, you know, but yeah, sometimes <laughs> I don't. O'Brien, yeah, he's Joey O'Brien. I mean, in all fairness, in the, the players that we had. Who were you most excited about then, going into um, that? Do you know what? was Alex Song. Well, I went to, I went to the friendly that was at Upton Park so our priest, it was at the the Betway Cup. We had Verda Bremen. Yeah, yeah, I went Betway to that. Cup, um, yeah. And a Mr. Manuel Lanzini caught my eye that day. Mm. I know we've we've been excited with a lot of players that we've had, but he looked at, like technically, he looked absolutely superb. Payet, I'd never heard of him. No. Um, like I'm sure a lot of us hadn't. Um, who were our summer? Just go for. I know you've got them down there. Who were our summer signings? Well, by the looks of it, how many we obviously Randolph come in, Ogbonna come in, Sammy Byram come in in January, Obiang, Moses on loan, Payet, Lanzini, Antonio, and Emanike. So all of those, that, um, all of those players came in prior to. So I know you said Byram was January there, but that that squad list I read out was our squad list yeah. by the time the end um, of the season swung round. For one of the things that was always, uh, you know. You've got to remember that we lost certain players that, you know, I, I always rated Stewie down and I thought he'd done a job. I understand the money we got offered for him was good, so it's good for him to move on. I know uh, Kevin Nolan obviously had a couple of games at the start of the season. Um, again, again, I was just, I was so fed up of seeing him in a West Ham shirt in a Premier League game come that last season. Yeah, I, just, I, I just... think it's another player that I think if he'd gone at the end of the season when Allardyce had gone. You know, he's another player. I thought he was fantastic for us, fantastic captain. Yeah, um, for, for what he, when he was in the championship, but, he was. Like, yeah, I, I just I think at the you know at the end, and it was it, I hate it sometimes when when players get near the end of their careers, and you know you have to <laughs> you have to start booing them and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, if they, if they don't. Yeah, yeah. Do, but obviously, his game was very much built on getting in the box, getting a couple of goals, and I remember, I think it was the I don't know if it was his last game at the Bournemouth game, and I remember we we broke. Towards the end of the game, and we were chasing it, and 
he was pretty much still on the edge of our penalty area when we were together. <laughs> you know, it's I'm Blowing. not yeah, man after my own heart. <laughs> yeah, but, exactly. You know, it, it's so to lose influential players like that. People like uh, Yelovich coming as well, didn't he? At the end. Um, but I mean going into that season I remember thinking Alex Song this fella has played for Arsenal he's played for Barcelona and he's only 31 mm. I just you know beside myself and to be fair he was outstanding wasn't yeah. he he's oft yeah. forgotten for that season yeah, Pyatt burst onto the scene Lanzini was incredible that year as well Diafra Sacco had the you know the best season of his life but Alex Song at the base of that midfield was just he was if just you, a string if, puller, wasn't he? If you ever get in a conversation after a few beers with uh, our mate Barrett, he would have him. We always talk about this best eleven and all that, and he had him in there for a bit, and you could see why the geezer played at the level we did. Absolutely, obviously had issues with his. I think it was his knees, wasn't it? Yeah, in, yeah. you know, and so training and stuff like that, but. The quality side of things, he was, mm. you know, he was different class. But I also think that season, once the midfield was was made up of Noble, Kiati, Lanzini, and Payet, was like we didn't know then, did we? That's that going to be, thing. you know, that's going to be the thing. Zerati was chucked in now and again. Obviously, Antonio will come onto it later in, but yeah, he, had, he was right wing and he was right back. So that midfield, again, I think with Kiati, he was another one that. You know, on his day, we said he was an absolute beast. He the was. geezer had like the lungs on him and things like that, and he chipped him man, with goals. Poor but man's Yaya Torre. Th- that's the, you know. I, and I think we miss something like that now. Again, we'll, we will get onto this, but I, I agree with you about Kiyai. But I think going into that year, there was a lot of. I, I don't think going into that season that you you would have imagined that we ended up having the season that we did, from my but, perspective, just based on those no, players. Not, not a. You said at the start and then said, This is where you'll finish, you'll be like, and This is how it'll go. How we, who are we going to beat and all that? Exactly. So, now that's it. So, obviously, we've got a we've got a decent idea there. That was sort of our general feelings going into the season one of a little bit of trepidation about the stadium acceptance and looking forward to it. And I think what one certainly of hope that you know we were going to do that, that famous old ground some justice in our in our last year, which obviously we ended up doing. And so what we'll have a we'll have a look at next is the you know just sort of we'll get into the season properly, start and look at some of the games and and that first six to ten games and what a start it was. So as we move on to our next segment, we've got the start of the season, like the you know we we know what we're doing with the ground, we know what the players are looking like, and we we're, we're just you know the standard sort of thing where you're well excited, you've had enough of the break of summer, you've had enough of a few weeks of no football, and I'm sure you're getting dragged around by your misses and. I was trying to drag myself around looking for a missus, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, then we, you know, straight into pre-season. Obviously, we'd we'd qualified for the Europa League the season before via the the most bizarre method that anyone could ever qualify for European competition because we didn't get that many yellow cards. And I remember the last game of that last season, me just being right on the edge of my seat. Like <laughs> I didn't care what the score was. I was like, don't get booked. No don't one get, get booked. booked. <laughs> um, yeah, so obviously started the pre-season a little bit earlier on. 11th of July was our first pre-season game. We had Peterborough United away. We played Southend away and beat them 3-2. Colchester away, lost 1-0. Uh, Charlton away, Norwich away, beat them 1-0, and then the uh, Betway Cup, you know, the infamous Betway Cup, which we still only managed to win once out of five <laughs> goes, I think that is. Uh, yeah, lost that at, at home to Werder Bremen. But then, of course, we did have we did have something exciting. We did have something new. 
which you know was going to go hopefully or that was the plan to go hand in hand with that romantic last year that we were going to have at Upton Park and that was the Europa League obviously where we qualified for the through the fair play channels rather than actually being good at football we we started that little bit early when in the first round in the 2nd of July was our was our first Europa League qualifier against Lusitanos two legs 3-0 at home and beating 1-0 away I mean, I've sort of eradicated it from my memory. Can you remember much um, about that? Well, all three of the games, really, mate. I remember it being nice that I think we had like a month's break before the footy was back. Do you know what I mean? And mm. I think Slavin got presented at that game. Um, comfortable game. I think the main thing out of the Europa, I think we all wanted to obviously go through. It gave him a good chance to look at fringe players. A few people to mention, Poets Boy. Yeah. My eager people like that, Amal Fatano. Don't know obviously what happened when he left, but you know these players could get used with the likes of the Tomkins and Winston Reid and all that. So I don't really know. It's an, it's another one of them. I think it helped us. It's just awkward because I mean it's a bit of an age old cliche in football now, isn't it? About uh, obviously, so we went on after the after seeing off Lusitanos. We then went played Burkara and we beat them one <laughs> 0 at home. Then lost one 0 away. They managed to squeeze through 5-3 on penalties. I'll, t- I'll tell you a quick story about that, actually. We, M- the Maltese team, the, they were, uh, weren't they? I remember watching it in the uh, in a local pub where we live, and I was due to, or say due, I was going to propose to my wife, uh, my now wife, and I said to the three of the lads that were in there, if we lose on penalties and go out, I weren't going to propose. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, Lauren will be buzzing. To uh, yeah, that, I know. Yeah. You know what I mean? She don't know that. But um, <laughs> yeah, so that you know that, that, that day and that game will always, uh, I'll always remember that because as well, that, that it gives me the uh, thing to remember when we got engaged. Do you yeah, know what I mean? What that's I mean, what I was saying earlier on about results. But yeah, I'll, I'll never be remembering Bukhara away no, where we lost. No, I mean the the second game. Uh, the, sorry, the third the third game against Astra. However, you want to pronounce the Astra. Yeah, I mean the the Gugu, generally accepted you know. pronunciation among West Ham fans is Astra Girigu or yeah, Astra Gugu, um, isn't it? But yeah, and I remember that game. I think Collins got sent off. I think we went two and up. Collins got sent off and. It was just that, oh, is this how it's going to go? We're going to score, but we're going to concede. Obviously, we lost out there, so there was the European adventure again. Mm, well, you know? I remember being gutted. You mentioned it there, but I remember that was the year, you'll remember, that I went travelling. So I left the country <coughs> in uh, February, I believe it was. I missed the majority of the last season, and then I didn't get back into England until like early September. Mm. So I literally remember I was absolutely buzzing. I was watching all the games while I was, you know, abroad and stuff. And I remember, you know, at the end of the season, we didn't get those bookings in the last game. I was like, oh, class, we're going to have a European run. And I was absolutely desperate. So I didn't actually see any of those games. So I was still out the country. I knew I was coming home on September the 1st. I was absolutely desperate for us to get through those rounds. So we'd get into group stages and then I'd come back to England, back into West Ham again every week and we'd have a European run. Yeah, and then we flip and lose to <laughs> Asher Girigou. Two, yeah, two all at home yeah. and then uh, lost 2-1 away, didn't we? And like you say, it was one of them, just classic West Ham, if you will, just completely saying over before it started. I, I think the, the problem, our main problem with the European side of things is, you know, it's... As fans, we'd we'd love to get as far as we could in Europe, you know, and then it'd just be our luck that we'd end up get, getting relegated as well, you know. It's it's one of them that I, I again I was I was disappointed, but I was also a you know bit of a blessing in disguise. Yeah. No Sunday games and all. 
Yeah, that, that was another Thursday, Sunday. Thursday, yeah. Sunday. You know yeah. what I mean? Let's, let's have the old well, three o'clock on a Saturday. James Jones, who, if you listen normally, you'll know that James is the my regular co-presenter, co-host, who's who's on with me every week. He's reminds me very often that Ashagugu, as he puts it, were actually the Romanian champions. So right. everyone needs to calm down a bit. Right. Remember how good they were. But then I think <laughs> the team that me and you used to play for, Reese Sweethearts, they could have <laughs> given the old Romanian league a bit of a go as well. So. So, obviously, Europa League uh, finished before it's even started, really. But what a start to the Premier League season. We started it in, if ever there was a classic West Ham style, it was the way we started this Premier League season. Arsenal away, first game. You think, ah, oh, great. That's, you know, starting off the season with a with a defeat, probably. You know, we had the old uh, last team at Highbury swilling around in our brains. Last team at Highbury. And then you're going to the Emirates' first game of the season and Reese Oxford makes his debut at the age of about nine years old or whatever he was at the time and we come away with a 2-0 victory. Uh, what? Kiyati with the opener, wasn't it? And then yeah, Mauro Zamati. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mauro Zamati with the winner. You know, uh, it was just another one of them fixtures were out and you're thinking, blimey, here we go again. Hmm. Um, hasn't been kind to us since either, has it? So, no. you know, it's... but. Oxford, uh, from my point of view, and um, when I hear about that game, I don't know about you, but my, I just think Reese Oxford debut sixteen, and it was all. Yeah. He was he was mustered when he yeah. he ran sure. yeah, he like just, you, you he, sure, he didn't we? literally he just done the basics so well, mm. and I just thought to myself, I thought we've got a kid here that's gonna that's it, you know what I mean? It, it, and the actual game, I remember the first half being a bit sort of a bit cagey. Arsenal had as they do a lot of possession and all, I think they at the bar and one of them, right, let's get into half-time at least nil-nil. We're not getting, they had, a lot of, they had a lot of possession and that, but they weren't massive chances. And then obviously right on half-time, pay it as he did. Whipped absolute demon of a free kick. Yeah. And, you know, all of a sudden you're going in one nil up and you're thinking now... Kiyarty nipped in front of the first man, didn't he? Just yeah, dinked it yeah, over Peter Cech come flying out. And did his classic little C yeah. celebration <laughs> with his hand as he loved. Um, but, you know, it was one of them that you them thinking, blimey, if we can get a draw out, I don't know mm. whether I'm the only fan that does it, if we go one nil up away from home, I'm like, oh, we get a draw out of this. Um, <laughs> but, Certainly at someone like Arsenal, though. Yeah, and, you know, to, again, the second half, I think, you know, the way we come out of the second half, the, the first 15 minutes was always massive and... Payet showed his class and he was on the ball, getting some free, good free kicks and good positions where it was just slowing the game down, you know, and then to nick the second goal. Zerati, wasn't it? Zerati who, yeah, yeah. who got the yeah. second. And I saw I missed him, I missed him off of the off of the squad list earlier on, actually. But he he was a man that I, I loved him. I don't know I don't know what your thoughts on him were, but I thought he was he was class. He's at Boca Juniors now, yeah, still banging him in with I, Carlos and you know, I've still got the romantic he was very, I don't know for me, he was he, I know you have to be he just felt a bit of a greedy player to me mm. at times and there was bits where he you know, his defensive side of things. But then we've had a lot of players like that since, so I can't I don't know, it was just one of them players that I never you know I never really sort Took of, two. but scored some crucial goals. Yeah, I think that's what I can remember. Obviously, Chelsea would be scored in, and we'll come on to that later as well. But so I say, we we mentioned there we started the season in classic West Ham style. So that you know historic win uh, away at Arsenal. Obviously, we'd already had the the last team at Highbury, first team at Emirates. That song was firmly in the uh, 
in the hymn sheet for most away games, which we all loved, obviously. And again, getting that win again. Reese Oxford, he burst onto the scene. You think, ah, this is it. Yeah, this is going to be brilliant. And then, yeah, vintage West Ham, two home games in a row after we've beaten Arsenal away. We lose 2-1 at home to Leicester and 4-3 at home to Bournemouth. And brilliant. So three points out of our first three games where we'd have probably thought six out of nine. And then, oh, now we've got to go to Anfield. Great. Uh, we haven't won there for 745 <laughs> years. I think it was at the time we travelled up there. And lo and behold, not only do we get a first win there, we absolutely demolish them and come away with a 3-0 win. Mark Noble with one of the oddest finishes I've ever seen in my whole entire life. And, I mean, what Lanzini scored us, what, what do you remember from that? Well, obviously, Lanzini, I think that was his first start. It was a good finish. It was another one of them where... We seemed to start games well that season. And I was quite impressed with that, where we've got to go up nice and early. We've got a second goal. So you had Memo Lanzini on three minutes yeah. opened the scoring. Yeah. With, uh, one of them sort of... Yeah, a little poke. Got a bit lucky, didn't yeah, he, really? Yeah. And then Mark Noble scores on half an hour. Again, the ball sort of falls from on the edge of the box. He kept his head and just slotted it in the bottom right corner. And then... Coutinho gets sent off on 52 minutes for a second yellow again play right, a bit of the skill, gorgeous, little bit of skill yeah. Yeah. drew the yeah. foul in he gets sent off for a second yellow Noble then gets sent off again on 78 minutes a straight red for the most tame slide tack you've ever seen where he gets 100% of the ball and then the Liverpool bloke just goes over rolling holding his ankle and then Sacco boshes up on 92 minutes and, and gets a third and it was you know I mean it was the game was won by then anyway but uh, Bizarre, you, like even even with the Arsenal result, especially after the two stuttery home games as well, I didn't see that coming. Did you? No, not at all. Not even a little not bit. Not at all. I've, I think it's just a. It was just a as you say. It's just such a West Ham thing. <laughs> but to, you know, to obviously not win at Anfield for them amount of years, it's just unbelievable that we've never done it. But so to win three nil, and to be fair. It was it was very well deserved and all that day. So that was the fir- that was the first win at Anfield. So I don't know if you've said it in, in fifty two years. Blimey! Fi- I mean, that's nineteen sixty three. I think they said when we was watching the uh, watching the old season review and some of the highlights earlier on in the in the commentary. This is the last time West Ham won at Anfield. Martin Peters and Jeff Hurst scored. It's incredible, I, I, you know. But the the one thing is, it, and again, it always makes me laugh, especially with us, is you'll get teams that get promoted. That will go there the first season and win. No, oh, you know, yeah, absolutely. Like yeah, yeah. Another year, another year, another year. And, yeah, you I know, remember watching West Brom beat them there. Lukaku was on loan at the time, or, you know, he was playing for them, and they beat him 2 1 on a Tuesday even, night. Like random night, like teams like Barnsley, I think, went there and got a result. Do you know what I mean? So, but it was, it was another one of them. I think you'd. What pleased me more was the fact that we were winning away from home. Yep. As we all know, our away record. 80% of the time when we're in the top flight isn't the greatest. Um, you know, so to start that, two wins, two losses, but they're both at home. It, it was literally completely other way, yeah, wasn't it? You'd, yeah. you'd have gone, um, oh, six points out of those first four games, I'll take I'd that. i prefer to win it, do it how we've done it, really. Oh, when, exactly, you know, as, yeah. uh, especially the Liverpool one. To get that monkey off our back. Yeah. yeah, 100%. And I think that was the catalyst then going forward to of our style of play. It was like, I feel that we can score a hell of a lot of goals this season. Mm. It's nice to have a a playmaker in the side. Obviously, Payet being the main one, but if you chuck Lanzini, Lanzini as in well, there, yeah, big time. Um, you know that. So going forward, it was nice that we had that. 
to think, you know, I know we touched on it earlier with the Allardyce thing, but, you know, I felt that if we conceded a goal, mm. there'd be no doubt that we'd score. My, my hatred of Allardyce certainly felt vindicated after those first four games. Because yeah. I was like, yeah, this, yeah. Is, this is exactly why I wanted rid of... Yeah. Uh, you know, where we'd had Kevin Nolan in that number 10 before, now we have Manuel Lanzini yeah. or Dimitri Payet. I was like, this is why. So we're touching it there, six points out of the first four games, which, you know, we've had a couple of huge highs away at Liverpool and away at Arsenal. And you're thinking, all right, well, we went and beat Newcastle 2-0 at home. You thought, ah, this is it. This is sort of games. And then you've got Man City away. Man City, again, a team in their pomp. Aguero starting for them. David Silva on the pitch. Joe Hart was still in goal. And as if I don't really know what was going on then. And we go and win 2-1. Victor Moses bags one in the, in the first half. And it was oh, it was well, it was just mental, wasn't it? Like Victor Moses, I remember putting, yeah, yeah he, he puts us one new up. It, it was against a run of play, of course, wasn't it? I mean, just touching on that Newcastle game quickly, I thought he was superb in that. So it was good to see him get a goal, and a, I thought all oh, very good acquisition we've got there. And yeah, the City game, it, it was a it was another one <laughs> another one of them games where you know you know City are going to have. 15 chances whether they're on target or not the um, the the whole of that game 72% possession they had for the whole game to right. our 28 the uh, Moses obviously scored and then Diafra Sacco we were two new up after half an hour Kevin De Bruyne scored just on yeah. the stroke um, it was another one of them games again see it till half time see it then I think he scored in like the 47 minutes 50th was, minute yeah. of uh, extra time in the first <laughs> half but again it, it showed it showed character keeping you know keeping the result as it was and to win three on the bounce, all of a sudden now, you know, we were all like, Allardyce, this is the best thing that's ever happened to the club. You know, and I liked it because, never met him, but, you know, Billich seems like a genuine bloke that he wanted it for the fans more than anything. Yeah. You know, and you absolutely. could see that. And, you know, it. as I said, just touched on it earlier, I think that was the catalyst to drive us forward and start getting some... We, we obviously got the win at home against Newcastle as well, so... You know, it was starting to shape, shape up very, very nice. So uh, at that stage, we're at the the nineteenth of September was the the victory at Manchester City. So you'd had the Newcastle win at home, the heroic wins at Arsenal and Leicester, and then of course City as well, and then the two home defeats to Leicester and Bournemouth, which did feel a bit weird because it was the last season at Upton Park. But again, just to sort of cap off this this opening segment to the season in classic West Ham form once again. You know, we we there was a real feel good feeling by the end of that September, certainly after the City game, and then one of the other things which West Ham fans have harked on about for a long time and still do to this day and to this season, is oh you know if only we could do something in the cups. Two thousand six was certainly one of my favourite seasons. I remember we have Leicester away in the League Cup, twenty second of September, and the Man City bubble is somewhat burst when we we crashed out two one to them. So. We still had, well, well, there was definitely change of foot and we were all looking forward to the season. It, it certainly started well on a, on a league front, but then, you know, in, in classic West Ham fashion, we just flopped out of the, the cup and that was our league cups over again for, for one extra season. But certainly an encouraging start to the first section of our last season at Upton Park. So we've come to the end of September. The season started really well. We're out the League Cup, but our league form is is fantastic and everyone's pretty excited about the season to come. We had a couple of pretty standard average results at the end of September, beginning of October. We had a two-all 
two two all draws in fact one at home to Norwich City and then one away at Sunderland I remember that Sunderland game that was a, I went and that was just a tick off Sunderland off my list and again pretty felt a bit classic West Ham should have won should have done yeah, better yeah 2-0 down and then should have won it in the yeah, end exactly come away with a point but then again that's when we sort of really started to kick on we've called this section the big swing so we're sort of looking at the next nine games like I say started off pretty average couple of points you'd probably rather beat Norwich at home but and then the point away at Sunderland was good. And then we had a fantastic win away at Crystal Palace. I remember Lanzini sort of burst onto the scene. And that was his first of a spell where he loves a goal against Palace, yep. doesn't he? Yeah, uh, Payet got the uh, the third fantastic little chip. Yeah, and then Carl Jenkinson, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah, got the first well. one, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the marauding run yeah. down the right, and he poked it home. But then I think the the defining game of this first little section for me, because, you know, we... we uh, with the with the games, obviously the wins against Newcastle, Man City, Norwich, Sunderland, then Palace, Chelsea. We then uh, lost away to Watford, but that that little segment there just before the Watford defeat was a seven-game unbeaten run, and you know certainly that's not something West Ham are used to. But that Chelsea game in particular, let's just let's touch on that. So I'm gonna we beat them two-one, beat them two-one at home, and we we went one new up. Of course, and it was if my man Zarate, yeah, Maro Zarate <laughs> again, <laughs> exactly. Uh, Seventeen minutes, he puts this one new up, tidy little finish from just like round the edge of the box when it drilled it home, and then Gary Cahill gets them. Oh, sorry, Nemanja Matic got sent off, didn't he? Just for half time, yeah. And obviously Mourinho went because of that as well. That's he it. was chucked up in the director's box, yeah. And it just had that. And I'm, I'm going to start this. I'm going to preface this was this was the game where I was on the way to the game and there was the most monumental crash on the A13. You were in the corporate box that day, weren't you? So you'd gone a little bit earlier. There, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you'd been there since about 8am. I was a few <laughs> pints down by then. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, so we're, we're on the A13. There was this monumental crash, big traffic jam as usual. And one, I think probably the only time, I think, in my West Ham supporting career, I've had a season ticket since I was nine and been going on and off since I was four. I'm 27 now. I think the... That was the only time where I'd actually missed a game. The traffic was so bad, and we sat there and we were listening to the first half an hour, and you know we were still somewhere around Raynham or something. <laughs> um, yeah, turned around and went home and just about managed to catch the you know most of the second half on the telly. So I was gutted because I didn't actually get to see it. And I, remember, I actually remember us and when Andy Carroll got the the headed winner on seventy nine minutes a little bit of me was annoyed because I wasn't there to see it but you you, you obviously tell us what it was, yeah, what it was like uh, the, you know it, as we as we spoke about before this was there were a few teams that I wanted us to make sure that we especially didn't lose to in the last year but to obviously beat Chelsea they were I think you know Chelsea were a bit all over the place manager had lost the dressing room by the sounds of it and it was just again typical. Got back in it. They were back in it at one 0 after the sending off, and you're thinking, "What's going to happen?" But Cresswell, especially that season, anyway. But his delivery and I, it's one of them games. It's up there with probably the top five. I couldn't probably tell you the other four, but that I've gone most mental at when the goal went in. Yeah. I so like, this is Andy know, Carroll's winner, the head up. Minutes. Yeah. You could just there was. I think there was a little bit of build up where. I think we'd had a corner or something like that and it got hacked away and Payet had give it back to Cresswell and you just could sense the anticipation of the crowd. Everyone was like, get it in the box. <laughs> yeah. There's about eight people in there. Carol is just going to absolutely like steamroller this and 
you know, when he connected, I, I just remember looking. Again, because Carroll hadn't started the game, had he? That was no, the thing. No, he no, got subbed no, on. I think that was his first goal of the but season as well. Go on, but, so Cre- Cresswell you know, floats one in. And there he is. He's up above like eight players, arms everywhere. And I just remember from where I was, the, the box I was in was down towards where my seat was at the other end. But the eruption in the Bobby Moore lower, you know, that's part of me. That it, That's what I part of me miss about the new stadium. Do you know what I mean? You, there was like... It was as if like there was someone in there with a load of like rag dolls being chucked. There was just bodies everywhere, <laughs> and he obviously went into the corner, just going absolutely mental. And after that, I, I don't. When was when was the goal scored at? Yeah, seventy nine you know? minutes. Yeah, was, so yeah. the last ten minutes, and I, I, I remember Payet doing a bit of skill right at the end, doing a bit of skill, getting wiped out, and it was the old Olay cheers are coming out. Everyone's on John Terry's back, <laughs> you know. So that was for me to get a result against Chelsea. That that was a such a pleasing result, and I mean by that stage of the season, you're where are we? It was twenty fourth of October that was where we played Chelsea. But by that stage, you've beaten Arsenal, Manchester City, Liverpool, and Chelsea, and you know we're not even into November yet. Yeah, I mean it was really shaping up well. That but that was our first real signature goodbye to Upton Park game, wasn't it? Yeah, hundred percent. As I say, that that for me was like atmosphere, and especially beating Chelsea because we haven't. Let's be fair, we hadn't done that well against them no. since, since they've become what they are what the modern are, day Chelsea you know, yeah. so well, you had that so that was so that was 24th of October and then it all kind of turned a bit sour for a little bit we didn't win again until the 28th of December versus Southampton and I mean it is a little bit you know when you just look at it that we didn't win again for that amount of time it was just a bit of a stale period because it only actually included two defeats and the rest were the rest were draws one of them defeats was obviously a bit of a slap in at yeah, Tottenham Spurs. on the 22nd of November that was 4-1 away at Spurs but with all that you had a you know, draw at home to Everton draw at home to West Brom a 0-0 point away at Man United drew 0-0 at home to Stoke nil-nil away at Swansea, three nil-nils in a row, and then a one-all away at Villa. It was all that December was just a little bit, uh, done it, just, ugh, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I was, when I was doing my notes about it in the week, I, for me, that was quite a pivotal point in the season. The Watford game, I remember that was horrific. I think Andy Carroll started, and that. so you write that one off as, yeah, we hadn't lost in nine or whatever it was. Yeah, but, so that was the first one. After you know, the Chelsea game, the Everton game, uh, Everton game started well, Lanzini scored, Lukaku got his token goal <laughs> against West Ham just before half-time. Obviously, that was the game that Payet got the nasty injury. Mm. So, you know, for me, in, in that spell, apart from the Spurs game, from the West Brom game up until the Villa game, well, that's um, the thing. So it, you... it was, I felt then that the squad as a whole, the players that were being used, dug in and we were getting results that we needed we just weren't losing I know I'm not going back to the other dice bit but you know he was he was such a pivotal point of our side at that point Pay I went to mean. yeah I mean I went to the United game at Old Trafford and in fairness we should have won it mm. we had to post a couple of times and Zerati had a chance right near the end of the game so you come away from Old Trafford with a point with certain players missing and yeah you're, you're well happy you, you know take it, then. Stoke at home it's never an easy game. Things like that, you know, right, West Brom at home, I remember the Zerati got a free kick in that. It was on a Sunday, it was raining, it was all a bit drab. And, mm. you know, so for me, we got over the, the line in them games by just knuckling down as a, as a unit and 
getting results. That was definitely a period, like you said, you touched on the... So that Watford game was the first. That was after Chelsea. We then we lose 2-0 away at Watford. Pyatt gets injured. And I think that after that spell there where we don't win again until the 2-1 home victory against Southampton on December 28th, that, that's that period where you really realise, actually, that Pyatt is mustard yeah. and what an impact he was having on the team. So although he was good and he was obviously pivotal and integral before... You still had, you know, you still one of him and Lanzini were playing well. Sacco was playing well. Cresswell was like a wizard, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. Noble's having the year of his life, as was Winston Should have got an England team that year, mate. That's it. And I still, yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah, you still, um, if I you think, ask James Jones as well, he'd have him in the England team now. <laughs> Just for pens. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think the the bit that I still say to this day with Payet is it's surprising how much he bought on certain players that year. You know, exactly, and, and yeah. whatever level you play at, if you play with a better player, naturally you will play better. Whether you, whether you try a, a long pass or or a trick or something like that. So that's what I was saying. To lose him must have been such a shock for the boys. Definitely, you know, I- and and because especially if you're struggling and you've got the go-to ball, you'd give it to him because you think he'd either get a foul, you know, the amount of games you'd go to, and he'd be round the box and. Away players wouldn't want to tackle him. No, no, of course. Because A, he's going to take the free kick and chances are it's going to be on target at least. But, you know, to then not have him, that's why I felt that that was quite a, a, a part of the season where we got through it and then we were, say, rewarded as such. But, you know, we then started getting results again. You know, there was obviously that bit in it where Slavin had his issues with Chad Belief and he wanted us to go over to Rush Green and, you know, it wouldn't be a season if. We don't have a couple of injuries, would it, at West End? No, no, so, no, that's you know, it, it, it. that's what I'm saying. And But it was good to get that done, get them results, and then look to the new year and think he's on his way back. Mm. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think one thing about Payet as well, you know, he although he was such a maverick himself, what I always remember about that last season up to Park, you look back now, and our standard squad... Or our standard first eleven for for most games. If you if it was Adrian in goal, you'd have Jenkinson, and then it'd likely be you'd have Og Bonner and one of Collins or Tompkins or whatever. Cresswell at left back, Noble and Kiati at the base of that midfield, and then Lanzini, Payet, uh, Zerati might have been in there with Sacco up top. I think if you all of those players. That you that are still there or had spells at the club after that, I can't think of any bar maybe Lanzini who've got anywhere near the level they played in that season at Upton Park. And whether or not it was just the Pyatt effect or it was the you know the general emotion of the whole occasion, I genuinely don't think other than Lanzini, any single one of the players who were regularly in that first eleven did anything other than go downhill from that year. Yeah, you're hundred percent, hundred percent right, mate. And and I think that's the, you know, that's that's the the problem when you do get a player like, and this is not, a, but our level, we we rarely get a player that is head and shoulders above everybody, mm. you know, and to lose him. But also, you're right, it's. Some players, then you just I don't know they, they, they lose a bit of confidence or yeah, Cresswell got injured, didn't he? Kiyate was yeah, the I same. The I just so... sort of felt that the wind had been taken out of everyone's sails a bit. Yeah, Pyatt started souring the first year, but 
that there obviously we can we can come on to that anyway. But I, all in all, come come Christmas time, I think everyone at West Ham was all pretty happy, especially when we ended the year with a win of a two one at home to Southampton. So coming up next, we'll look at the the new year and new year, new us. Well, sort of anyway. So thanks for listening to part one of the We Are West Ham Nostalgia series with me, William Pugh, and Reese Bayliss. Don't forget to stay tuned to the We Are West Ham podcast for James Jones, Tom Edwards and I for our usual ramblings on all of the goings on at West Ham. Obviously, there was a lot over Christmas. So if you tune into the normal podcast, which will still be running, or Love Sport Radio every Tuesday night at 7pm, you'll be able to hear our thoughts on David Moyes, the board and lots, lots more. But for now, this was episode one of the We Are West Ham Nostalgia series and stay tuned for episode two and the final part of the last season of Upton Park coming up soon. Sports Social Podcast Network.